Hello, mate. Hey, Chris. How you Hi, doing? mate. I'm hey, good. How are you? Uh, How's it going, mate? You all right? Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, I'm all tickety-boo, apart from the fact I haven't actually played drums professionally now for, uh, what, four weeks? And I guess you guys are uh, all very similar with that. I was going to say 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I've played professionally for 30 years. More. This, is, this is my 32nd year as a pro. And I must admit, I've never been in a situation where there's, like, been no work for anyone. Like, across you know, the whole country and, and or the, the wider world. It's really, it's really kind of interesting times. So, um, but not to say that that 30 years, I've, I've acted professionally. That's a different question. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a that, different thing. That's a long time to play music. It's a long time to play music. And um, and I must admit um, that, that, you know, going back to when I was 17, when I first turned pro, you know, you don't look that far ahead. So somebody said to me then, when you're, you know, uh, coming up for 49 and you'll still be a working professional, you know, musician, then I would have went, no, you're, you're talking rubbish. That's not going to happen. I'm going to be, I'm either going to become a, like a huge rock star and play for Maiden or um, it's not going to happen <laughs> at all, you know. So, uh, but here I am, still going strong. Um, do you like my t-shirt today? It's a five finger death punch. Oh, yeah. Love it. Yeah. Uh, Love it. They're they're a bit mental, I believe. Uh, yeah, they they are a bit they are a bit mental, but um, they, they, you know the 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 guy who plays Kit on that, he's, he's double kick was just insane, you know. It's just yeah. Insane. There's a lot of scary guys that could do that, and I, I I've never actually learned to do it at all. I've messed around. I've messed around. I, I've got uh, from time to time I get I get the double pedal up and I kind of go for it, uh, and then uh, I can have to leave it again because I'm I'm doing show twos for the next six months you know? <laughs> uh, which there's not much place for I mean I guess you know I remember Charlie Berante from Anthrax talking about speed metal kind of just being like a polka yeah. and actually yeah. you know that that's that's certainly true but it was just it was interesting sort of uh, Charlie Berante talking about playing a polka you know that was uh, you know do you know the, the the wonderful Sandro Chancho Oh, I, I, yeah, I know Sandro well. I haven't seen him for a long time, but yeah, I know, I know Sandro really well. The, the only guy I ever know to turn up to a jazz pub gig with a double pedal and a set of rototoms. <laughs> no way. That, yeah, that's Sandro. I've been like playing, playing Caravan like he's yeah. Simon Phillips or something, you know? He's amazing. That's, yeah, no, he is amazing. And sometimes what's really interesting about that stuff is um, uh, I did that for a while um on some gigs and uh, what you would do is i would just literally just turn what i would do in my hi-hat pedal just switch the foot across to the oh. left to the left slave pedal and just do what you would do normally and it's that that used to create some interesting sort of um things because instead of having obviously the hi-hat going on the offbeat or the downbeat or playing eighths or whatever you would then have that plus on the on the on the left kick and the left kick drum uh, or the left slave pedal and your right foot and normal stuff. And you get these interesting patterns going underneath, you know, cymbals and toms. And I was really, you know, it could be a bit overkill, but it was always quite an interesting thing that would happen, you know. Uh, so it's worth, definitely worth experimenting with that, I think, if you ever get a chance, just to sort of, just, you know, maybe not in a gig. <laughs> First dance. Or, or abs absolutely on a gig. Did, so, like, if you changed, um, if you were used to a certain sound source, Right, so the hi hat mm. is the sound of your left foot. Did it ever throw your brain when you immediately make that a pedal, so that becomes a bass drum sound? Um, not a 
I can't I can't think of any instance where it where it where it did where that happened. I'm sure it must have done. Um, actually, I must tell you my great left foot clave story. That the first time I ever used that on a gig. That that's a nice lead into that. But um, no, the 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 um, no. It always used to be that I think because you what you would normally do with your left foot becomes or you know if you're left handed your right foot um, on the on the hi hat pedal. Um, I think it's a sort of instinctive thing eventually. You know, the way you're right. moving your foot, even if you're not actually opening and closing the hi-hat, so then you're still uh-huh. moving your left foot. So I think it's instinctive yeah. things. So as long as you just trust your instinct and don't sort of fight, you know, fight your, you know, what use your ears to fight what your left foot will do, you know, you'll be fine in that sense. It wouldn't necessarily cause you any problems. I mean, as I say, I'm sure, it, I'm, I can't think of an instance off the top of my head, but I'm sure it must have been one time when I was, mm. or a couple of times when I was, <laughs> doing something and looking away, but oh what's my feet doing you know uh, um, uh, so yeah no that that would, um, yeah that I mean yeah it must happen but I, I think it's just I think those kind of experiments um, moving moving bits of your kit around and uh, and you know doing things with your feet that you might not normally do I think those are all really worthwhile you know if you just play the way you'd normally play and just change mm-hmm. the sound sources and you know you know change you know you can add toms, take toms, just and just put you know things you would normally do somewhere else, and just put them on different mm-hmm. sounds, and I mean you'll get you always get something interesting. Whether it's the right thing for the musical moment, that's a different issue. But that's you yeah, know, yeah. The, the drummers were louder than anyone else, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Overpowered. I think there's a I think there's a lot of that experimentation missing these days. Or do you think there's think more that, of it than there used to be? Well, I think it might depend on on um, a, where, you know what you're doing, and I think I think there's some incredible creativity at the minute, uh, both in you know just guys who are playing kits and doing stuff on YouTube and stuff um, on their own, and also within music itself. I mean, I'm always getting pushed towards like new artists that you know you wouldn't necessarily come across just by doing the you know the usual checking on iTunes or you know the, the usual sort of way you know uh, and there's always some interesting stuff around one of the things I think is really interesting now is the way people are using drum kit sounds and the way that that's the way that that's being used at the minute because I'm hearing mm-hmm. a lot of different like you know um, you know different snare drum tunings and I'm hearing them combinations of that like across a whole range I don't, I don't think there's a I don't I don't think there's a, a trend at the minute, and certainly in terms of music in general, maybe in the in the more pop sort of pop based world. But I think I think guys are pretty experimental with the sound, certainly for sure. Uh, from what I can see, uh, I mean, in the world that I'm mainly working at the minute, you kind of you have got a kind of sort of not restriction, but you have got a you know a sort of product to play. Yeah. So you have to you know think about okay, well this is a this is an eighties based show so i'm going to have to it's going to have to sound like it's the 1980s or you know so on and so forth yeah. but um but no I, th- I think there is i think I, I i i i'm always loving like what's around at the minute i can't think of any artists off the top of my head uh but it's just so much i think there's so much creativity at the minute i think it's a real um i think it's a real boom time boom time for for for, for drums and drummers and music in general uh um with the, with the think, stuff that's out there. Yeah, I think Adam will maybe qualify this for me, but I, that, it's maybe got a lot to do with the availability of gear now. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And, sure, oh, big yeah. time, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, what sure. kind of new products. I mean, some of the stuff we see coming through a shop that isn't then utilised. I, I think, Adam, you ran a... When, before you worked for us, you used to 
he ran a big fat snare competition, eh? Some... Yeah, yeah. So, like, even things like that, like, products like that coming out are just, you know, like, I think about it in the studio perspective. And I suppose for yourself, this is relevant for you, Alan, because in the theatre show, you might have to change a sound very quickly, you know, um, sometimes even between a bar, you know, and I think mm. Big Fat Snare Drum is great for that kind of thing because yeah. if you need to go from all of a sudden a really tight hip-hop kind of funk kind of groove all of a sudden to like a really beefy power pop ballad, you know, yeah. Yeah. before you would have to have it, I know your own dedicated drum for that, you know, or mm. like a dedicated sample of some kind to do that, whereas now you can literally use the same drum and things like that, you know, are just are great. Yeah, no, yeah, no, absolutely for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, and that is a that is definitely a thing that happens. Um, uh, the you know because on one show you might have, uh, I mean, obviously you 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 sat in the bodyguard and had a couple of snares on that. Um, yeah. The, the last show uh, I was doing until obviously we we get shut down um, was um, Priscilla, which was far more. It's just eighties sort of disco, eighties nineties discos you know, four and four, mm-hmm. pretty much all the way down. So that was a real basic kit, two toms, you know, uh, snare drum, hi-hats and two crashes and ride. So it was a real sort of stripped down thing specific. Because all you're doing is like disco, you know, sets, you know, you're just doing that all the time. So, uh-huh. but other things you would definitely have to, and, and, and there's a couple of shows I know that I've got three or four um, snares. I sat in on, uh, with a, uh, a, uh, Tim, who's uh, Tim Goodyear, who's on Hamilton, uh, in town, and I think oh, wow. he's, I think he's got about four snares. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we go we go way back. So I, when I had some time off, I, I went and sort of um, had a bit of a catch up, and uh, uh, yeah, and yeah, I think he's got about four snare drums on that, wow. on that uh, <coughs> show. And they all do specific things. I think he's got an old um, like old uh, proper old old school marching sort of uh, goat skin um, uh, goat. You know the kind of the the the, the old school. Snare wires, which are, um, you know, made of animal products, you know. Wow. Uh, I think so. I can't. I, I don't quote me in that because I can't actually remember. But he had some old marching drum, um, in there. Uh, yeah. So that, that, that you know there are yeah there are definitely situations where you're going to have three or four, uh, snares these days. You know, uh, because you're expected to have such a wide range of of sounds at your availability. I think I've got about ten snares in my personal collection at the minute. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I've got one that's never been played as well, so that's. Uh, <laughs> you know, so what is it? I'm just. What's up with Adam? Sorry. What is it? What is the snare drum you've got? It's. Uh, it's. Uh, uh, you'll understand why it's uh, the sonar one. The the. Um, the one. Oh, got, you bought uh, the yeah. You bought the phonic reissue, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah, still. It's still. Oh. It's, yeah, still. It's, it's never. It's never seen. It's in this bag. It's it's nicely safely stored. I'm not going to tell anyone where because it's uh, just in case. They <laughs> it. uh, but, um, but yeah, that, that I mean I mean I've had a couple of hits on it and it's a beautiful beautiful drum. But it's just sitting there like there'll yeah. be a moment when I get to use it. But because um, every 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 drum I buy and use, uh, you know, I have it for a purpose. You know, whether that purpose wherever it comes along, mm-hmm. that's uh, that's. Uh, you know that that's a separate issue, but there'll be a, there'll be a there'll be a time, you know, hopefully within the next year or two. Before, you know, yeah. But when I start to get, um, and uh, you know when I when I start to get, um, you know, when we all get back to work, you know, mm-hmm. um, there'll be a, um, so um, but yeah. You seem quite positive about 
the young guard that's coming through, a lot of love young it, players coming it, through. Yeah. Is, is that something you've managed to sustain for 30 years? I, 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 I really, I think, you know, when you, when you become a sort of, you know, dare I say, a sort of elder statesman and you've been around for a while, you'd see a lot of changes. You're used to how things change. I mean, I can remember being back home when guys like Alan Koska would showed up in the scene and I had, you know, I had sort of quite a lot of the jazz gigs and then there was a whole new bridge come through and, and then I ended up playing with like a lot of the guys that Alan played for and did a lot of depths for Alan. Mm-hmm. When, um, and I think, I think you can't afford to be, you know, jealous or bitter or, or unaccepting of the new talent that's coming through. You have to listen to what they're doing and see what you can take from it because there's going to be new ideas and you're going to, it helps you keep up to date with what's, mm-hmm. you know, what's happening. And it's just the excitement of knowing how I still feel about it. I mean, I still get a buzz from finding things I can't do or, or seeing a new idea or like, oh, how does that guy do this? Yeah, yeah. What's going on with your feet and hands there? That's an incredible film because it musically it works. And and then going, right, I need to go home and work on that. I'm going to see if I can incorporate that into what I do. Um, and just the thrill of seeing people who are just up for playing. There's, there's quite a lot of uh, younger sort of guys and, and who are incredible players. And in fact, you had um, you had Dan Hayward on recently. Yeah, yeah, obviously. that's that was, right. That was great. I mean, Dan, yeah. Dan I, I, I depth for Dan for a few shows on uh, uh, on your feet. It was terrifying because mm-hmm. Dan Dan plays so well. Like you know, depping's difficult anyway, but it makes it a lot harder when the guy you're depping for is an absolute <laughs> monster. Um, totally. And and you you know and that that's exciting for me because I listened to the way he played. And you know, I thought, okay, well, that's that's a, that's an approach to that that I, you know, and I've I've done a bit of Latin stuff in my time, and going, oh, that's <laughs> an approach to that that I didn't didn't have. There was one particular filly did at the end of uh, Conga, at the end of the, at the the end of the first half, and it led into a push, and it was a beautiful fill, and it was just like, perfect. I thought I would never have played that. So you take uh-huh. it, you learn. I remember, I remember when I sat in with him and asked him for the sticking for it, and he was, oh yeah, it's this, and I went. It's so simple, but absolutely effective. There's another guy in the kind of theatre world. I mean, there's quite a few, but a guy called Liam Waugh, who um, who's an incredible player, solid. I mean, just time is just like boof, boof. It's just right yeah. on the line. Beautiful, to, beautiful. Yeah, there's so much. Um, uh, yes, yeah, I, I get I get really excited by just your, you know, new guys. I mean, just it's always yeah. it's always been a thrill for me. Um, uh, even back in the days when I used to teach, uh, you know, you'd be teaching at Strathclyde University or somewhere like that, and you would, you would, a guy would come in, who you know you're supposed to give some lessons to, and and so you give you point give a few pointers in a direction or whatever, and then you let them play and you obviously oh, him could obviously be him or her, but the but the way they would play would be like oh I never thought about that. I never yeah, even yeah. thought about that. That's <laughs> yeah. because that's you're always going to learn from people if you approach it from a point of view of, you know, this is a new breed, this is the new stuff, this is these guys are more up to date with with what's out there. Um and it keeps me fresh as well. Um yeah. I mean that, thankfully I think I'm quite a, a, a sort of exuberant high energy uh, person. <laughs> Sometimes too much for my own good, but uh that, that when I get when I get that when I get that thrill, I mean, it's just it's still the best thing in the world to sort of just get people meet people who are really into the music, you know, yeah. on a, on any instrument, you know, um, for sure. 
it's funny because you you mentioned teaching and it's no secret you used to teach me back in back in the nineties and and. Yeah, I do apologise for that. <laughs> but, <laughs> you, 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 you learns all the good stuff after that, you know. <laughs> but but what I was going to say is the way we learned music then is very different from how people learn music now. I mean, mm. it, we would you would think you wouldn't think twice back then of teaching me a samba or a songo or a bossa nova, but I just don't know that that's happening now. No, no, no. I think I think that's right from what I understand. Yeah, yeah. but I think that Which maybe. Is, Sorry, you go. Well, it was, I was going to relate it to your career because if you think about the shows that you've played, you're playing on a disco show just now, you've played on, a, you, when you did Dirty Dancing, I mean, the, the, the eclectic score and, and pad on that, you played everything from the, the 60s right through. Mm. It, it must be fascinating to watch young kids and think, would they, would they be able to come in and, and, and do the job you do? Or Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, there, there is... Um, I... I, I I think there are possibly one or two, um, and I might be wrong in this, but I think there's one or two stylistic, um, uh, uh, you know, things that are, that, are, that are a bit lacking. I think the Latin thing seems to have taken a little bit of a backseat from what I can understand. I mean, as I say, I'm, I might be wrong about that, so I'm not going to quote because I'm not entirely up to date with who's doing what. And there are some incredible guys who do the Latin thing who are obviously... You know, sort of new and young, and but from what I can understand, I think because when we were when I was sort of starting to play, because of the whole Weckl thing and everything, it was the Latin thing mm-hmm. was was big. I mean, it was right. Everyone was everyone. Mm-hmm. You had to have your Latin chops. You had to, and then the uh, the Funkifying the Clavi book and all those things mm-hmm. came out, and then Horacio arrived. So the Latin mm-hmm. thing was 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 big. Um, so everyone had to so you know you 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 learned to play your samba. These were like you know you you had your your songos, your mambos, um, and even if you weren't totally up to date with the traditional aspect of it, you certainly had the basics and the fundamentals of it. Um, so I'm not entirely sure if that's still as big a a bigger thing, but there are other things that are much more um, prevalent now um, than they were obviously when I was starting out or you know. I mean, electronics and, and yeah, yeah, recording, mm-hmm. um, you know, the whole YouTube thing. I mean, you know, how to sort of self-promote is much more of a thing now. So there, there, there are definitely things that I would say might not be the same as when we started out, but there are things that are obviously different and that, that I'm not as up-to-date on. Mm. Um, and that's, again, that's part of the whole thing of, um, you know, I have to move with the times or anyone has to move with the times you know, as as it progresses or else you are going to sort of be left behind and you're going to miss out on, you know, um, just some some good things to play and some interesting ideas. Uh, mm. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, Adam, you're a wee bit younger than me, so how was it for you coming up <laughs> to school? Speaking as the young guard. <laughs> if he's a little bit younger than you, he's a lot younger than me. <laughs> but, like, how, how was your experience of learning music at school? I mean, I guess it was pretty varied, but perhaps not as extensive. Mm. Like, I remember when I was first learning, certainly, we got to get through my standard grades, as they were called back in the day for me. Um, I remember them. I remember them. They changed from that. They changed from that. Yeah. It went from all levels to standard grades when I was in school. So there you go. No way. That's that's quite frightening. (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, so like uh, my teacher at the time, he taught me kind of various kind of samba patterns, but like none of them have really. Okay, what's the best kind of way to phrase this? They've been helpful, but I've maybe not kind of realised how helpful they've, they've not consciously realised how influential they've been on my playing. Mm-hmm. I don't know because that was only my my only experience of it really. Um, so yeah, it's a bit weird because I more or less went from okay, learn how to play this samba groove to pass an exam to like okay, now play um, like ain't nobody by Shaka Khan go, you know, mm-hmm. like or like play Nirvana smells like Teen Spirit. You know, mm. that was my kind of upbringing to it. So it was very kind of different, I suppose. Mm, um, yeah. Where I didn't have a teacher that kind of said, okay, this week we're going to focus on Latin. This week we're going to focus on um, samba or whatever, mm. you know. Um, and I don't know if that was a way of, maybe my teacher was trying to prepare me for that world of, okay, play 4-4, you know. I don't know. I don't know. But certainly <laughs> it was much different from kind of yours, Chris's, and certainly yours, Alan. yeah. Um, yeah. I, can't, I mean, we had to. I guess to, I don't like, know if it's a way of... Yeah, exactly, you had to, so... I don't know if it was maybe a way of, again, the times maybe changing, of, like, well, how relevant is this going to be in the modern world of wanting to be a musician? Um, well, I don't... I, yeah, pa- you know what I mean? I think, I think part of an educator's thing, though, should be to always be aware of where things can possibly go. So when I used to get that teaching, I never thought about it as, like, I'm going to teach, you know, somebody specific things... Obviously, if it was a total beginner yeah. and there was a, you know, I would obviously get the basics and do what I could to sort of, you know, get those fundamentals in place. But then after that, or taking somebody, you know, who had already played a bit, uh, and, I, you know, I'm sure Chris would probably agree with this, is I tried to, rather than look at, unless I was asked to look at a specific thing, I would try and think about, like, okay, what's the overall ability here? So what what's your kind of skills you need to... Um, to get out into the open world and have yeah. all the facility you need, and then you just change it a little bit. So it was about creating the vocabulary. So I would I would set up exercises about you know moving around the kit, and then maybe give some suggestions to guys how they might want to use that, but leave it to the individual to do it because that makes it theirs. And then you'd maybe come across some technical things about like okay, how does this work with your feet and hands and how can you separate them up and unify them and you know tidy them up and do that with a click yeah, yeah. And, do it and, and do it without a click as well. That was always a big lesson I used to find was an interesting one, trying to get uh, people to sort of have good time without the click. Because of course, you start off in a place where you're not used to click, then you learn how to play with a click and then take the click away and it gets a, it can get a bit wobbly and yeah, because yeah, obviously indeed. that's that. Uh, so I would always make sure that there was a, an approach to somebody's playing that was like you took the click away as well so that when you go out into a gig or a, an environment you turn around and you can deal with the click being there you can deal with the click not being there you know somebody's going to give you a ballad or a thing in 7-8 or a you know what, or, or a bunch of pop tunes whatever they may be or a bunch of metal tunes or so yeah, on and so forth my cat is making to... an appearance hey <laughs> What, uh, what what's what's her his name? Uh, it, that was Hazel. Oh, the guy then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got Hazel. So she's she's. I think she wants out, but she's not getting out right now. It's raining. Um, <laughs> no, I remember you used to you used to cross training, which I oh, thought yeah, was yeah. quite. You know, so was that anything because that, you, yeah, cross uh, because I was angry or, or yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like anything you would teach is. 
you made sure had an actual application elsewhere. Hmm. So yeah. if you're teaching a Latin group, well, it's, here's how it might creep into pop, and here's how it might creep into rock, and here's why these skills are actually necessary. I'm not just yeah. teaching you them because I can, you know, to tick a box, or, or if it was to tick a box, then there was always another real world example. So Latin might develop your independence. Here's why that's important. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I, sure. I, I wonder if that's missing. I don't know. But like you said, you know, we didn't learn how to use audio. But yeah. then the times, the times were different because it wasn't available either. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's all relevant to what, what, what you have. The other thing I was going to say about that as well is, and of course in this day and age, uh, with the, the whole YouTube thing and stuff, um, there's so much free content about how to come up with ideas and how you how you play the drums from a technical level it's all online mm-hmm. you know um obviously it's still it's still handy to have the educator i mean i i, I was self-taught um so you could even back when i started you could buy books you could buy you know i i, I got contemporary drama plus one when it came out and i was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. that was how i started getting into all my more heavyweight sort of fusion and latin type stuff so that there's always been the ability to sort of self-teach, but but it's always been more useful to make sure you get a hands-on approach as well, um, yeah. and get and get somebody who can sort of point your direction. So for me, I think I think my educating was the same way that I did it, which was that I taught myself. So I expected that if anyone came to me looking for lessons, they might have a bit of ability or a bit of knowledge, and then I would be the equivalent of the guys I used to find to teach me, and then they would they would sort of push those skills down in certain alleyways and focus them a bit better because obviously when you're taking a, a lot of information from any any source whether it's books or you know youtube or dvds you know whatever you know mm-hmm. it can get a bit cluttered so you bet you know it's good to find something to say well there's you know that that's how you use that's a good place to sort of use that how to think about those those skills and that that coordination and you know mm. and so on and so forth um I think, uh, yeah. But yeah. What, what struck me as, as well is things like reading isn't taught as much. And when you got to London, from what I understand, mm. it kind of saved your bacon in a lot of respects because you had, what, 11 shows on the go at once or something? Uh, no, I had, I had nine at one time, deepen-wise, yeah, yeah. That's mental. The, but the bizarre thing about that is I I never learned to read. Mm. I, I, I kind of just picked it up as I went along. Um initially because I taught myself to play from books um, right you just worked out what it kind of all meant and it's I mean it's really it's kind of like really basic maths so you've got a, a block of this got this block thing that then split into certain beats and they've mm-hmm. all got a sign and they've all got a different sign or symbol whether it's a cross or a, a dot or a you know an open dot so they all kind of obviously mean something and they just got to do the association thing of what they actually mean and once you get through that it's you know then it's fairly Plain sailing. I used to, I used to, I used to find that. I mean, I used to have a bit of a joke with people because people would come up and say, oh, "Look, you, you know, your your sight reading is really good because you just turn up and throw something in front of you, big band charts or whatever, and you you play it from start to finish and you know don't make a mistake." Well, obviously, I did from time to time. Uh, very happy, very happy to admit <laughs> that. But the, but I I used to say, but I I didn't. I used to, I my my concentration level when it came to reading because I'd be too busy listening to to. Yeah, yeah. To what the tune is, I'd be, I'd be trying to listen to what the tune is, and then I'd find myself looking back and going, "Oh, I'm, I'm slightly lost here," 
and I, and I still do it to this day and I can like then I go oh and there's a couple of clues that you get you back there's double bar lines you know there's there's a phrase that will look like it's coming up and it'll tie in with the jump part you go ah I know where I am now um so don't I mean don't get me wrong when it comes to if I have to just sit down and nail it fine I'll do that uh so yeah we're talking about like nailing it with reading and eh? Yeah, kind of yeah, yeah, and how I was basically just telling you how I basically blag it most of the time. <laughs> I, I do don't think, think I'm the only one. I don't think I'm the only one. Oh, no, absolutely not, but... No, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, um, do you think it's important for teachers to teach drummers how to read? Because yes. I wasn't strictly taught how to read. I kind of, much like yourself, yeah. I kind of picked it up as I went and still kind of picking it up as I'm going. Yeah. Um but I know that there's a lot of guys out there, especially if you want to do things like cruise ships and all that, that reading is, you need to almost have a degree in it, pretty much. Maybe I think if, if, turn, I, but... if I can interject, you might disagree, Al, but it's it's probably more important to teach them how to interpret. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Because yeah. some of the charts you get handed are, are pretty <laughs> bogus, man. That, that's, <laughs> there's an interesting thing with the... Because obviously... You know, again, going back to when I started in 1914, um, <laughs> uh, the, uh, you know, people would, you know, charts were handwritten, you know, so so people would learn how to, you know, you'd have the guys, most people would give you a part that was kind of like written and would be kind of fairly similar language. But obviously when things like Sibelius and so on, they, when they all come into play and people were doing much more computer-generated ones, they were just yeah. like the, the base settings of, of Sibelius. And they wouldn't really understand how to write for drums. And, a, and a, there are obviously other instruments that suffered from this as well. So you would then have to learn how to look at a computer-generated chart, try and understand what was actually being looked for, then turn that into a drum part and, and sort of you know work it as you went along without criticising the arranger who might be in the yeah. same room. Because, you know, yeah. and, and, I mean, I've, I've seen people, I know people who left jobs like in rehearsal because I'm not reading that. That's just, mm-hmm. that's, can't, can't make sense of that. So, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, it's, it has happened. These things have caused problems in, in, the, in the past. Never but there are the times when obviously you have to, you know, there are, you are going to get things when you're given specific information. Yeah. Uh, uh, and you have to do that. And there are other times obviously when, you know, you are going to have to interpret. So both skills are, 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 are kind of valid you know uh, so then from a from a total pro point of view how do you get down to actually negotiating that because I've had chart handed to me when I was at college that made three hands literally three drums are being played at the same time and one of them is not the bass drum have you not got three hands yes. <laughs> Adam, Adam, he's not got three hands <laughs> what's going on there how can you not have three exactly. hands? God's sake. <laughs> I know, it's because I come from Kamala. We've all got three hands in Kamala. <laughs> I've, I, I've learned this the Um because I've just moved to Kamala. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, like, how do you navigate that when someone's precious about something and it's like, well, this is actually physically impossible? Yeah. Well, yeah. I had I had an experience of that. I used to, um, I used to do a... I think called Mr. McFall's Chamber Orchestra, uh, which is some of the members of the SCO uh, and and sort of drums, um, mm-hmm. and augmented with various other instruments. Uh, and it was a great little challenge for me that gig because uh, I was playing with like real, you know, absolute classical players, and and I was basically on stage live with them, so I had to have, come right down in volume, uh, all that stuff. But we had um, 
we had this particular uh, um, uh, a piece of music that was done and it was done to uh, some footage so we were playing it live and the screen would run the footage behind us okay. and the music itself was uh, was kind of like German rehearsals was kind of a bit was kind of a bit horrible to be inside <laughs> and, and and I'm not before I go any further. I'm not. This is. I'm not starting. I'm going to just say anything controversial here, uh, because uh, the chart I got was was written in such a way that it was very very difficult to read. So I I literally just went. We had a couple of days of rehearsals on this. It was very angular, very odd time signature, you know, and so on and so forth. Lots of stops, lots of starts, um, and and that thing of like going well what. The part wasn't written for drums. The person who obviously wrote it hadn't, and actually openly admitted that they they weren't sure how to write for drums. You know, it was a you know this is a person who writes entirely for sort of classical instruments. So it was written much okay. more from the point of view of a percussion set rather than a sort of drum kit set. So I had to basically take elements of it and go well. How am I going to turn this into a part? Because I can't play physically. I can't play because there are five. Well, there were six things going at one time. So unless I started hitting a cymbal in my head, <laughs> you know, that's not going to happen. Um, so I would just basically look at it, sort of strip it down, say what are the fundamentals. So kick, snare, hats, toms, right? Uh, and then see where the part was going and essentially create my, uh, my own part and then feed back that information to the arranger and just check that they were okay with it, and and then give them give them the the chance to sort of say, well, I don't like that. Mm. Can we do this? And I think that's the only way to approach it. Like anything, like when you're doing something new or you're doing something that you've never seen before, somebody's got a vision of how they want it to sound, and and your job is maybe not to make it sound exactly like that wherever if you if you sort of can't because there's physical limitations uh but to get us to approximate it um right and then from there you, you've got a sort of good grounding of like um uh communication and it really comes down to that i would say that the communication aspect of it is is sort of vital when you're in, in any musical situation as you, as you both know if you've got no communication with your fellow bandmates or people you're working with or colleagues at the shop or wherever it's just uh -huh. going to be a disaster. So you have to really think about it from that point of view. So feedback information uh, uh, and just check that everything's okay. And when when we went to do this stuff live, and the piece was about seven or eight minutes long, um, and as I say, playing inside it was unusual because what I was seeing was different to what I was playing. Like, like the, there was a mismatch, but what I was playing uh -huh. was working. Uh, and the arranger was very happy with it, and the band were kind of happy with it. So I had to sort of deal with that. And then when I got a chance to sort of look at it, listen to it from a recording we did, uh, and uh, it turned out to be one of those moments in life you go, that's just fantastic, because the piece of music as a whole, with the combination of the footage, worked an absolute treat. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was a real beautiful piece of music. But being inside it, because of the, the sort of, the complications of trying to interpret a chart by somebody who doesn't write specifically for drum kit and then trying to be fair to that arranger and say this is this is how I kind of see where this wants to go 
they, yeah. si- they signed off on it and we ended up with something that worked really nicely uh, and actually to this day I was still very proud of my association with Mr Rick Falls because that kind of thing happened a few times with that particular orchestra because I was dealing with people from the classical side of things and not you know my normal sort of world uh, and that was a bit of a learning experience for me uh, as well because up until that point most things I read were things I knew even if right. even if it, even if I was looking at a part and it wasn't quite how it should be written I would look at it and with a bit of experience go yeah no that you're not actually looking for a right symbol there you mean hi-hats mm-hmm. just swap it over without really questioning it um, so I think I think yeah that it can be a tricky one that um, but you just have to like you know sort of look at it and go uh, right so I've got I've got three hands here obviously I've only got two so I have to take one of them away which one's the least important you know mm. so I've got mm-hmm. if, it, if it's a, if it's a, if it looks like it's a groove and you go that and there's a random tom tom in there that you know you need a third hand for you you either take it away or you take the hi-hat away. You, mm-hmm. you, you move, but you keep the sort of backbeat going, you know, because that's the fundamental part of it. So keep to the fundamentals. Always, always, always stick to the fundamentals. It's kick, snare, kick, snare, kick, snare, you know, with some eight notes. That's the fundamentals. Anything mm-hmm. beyond that uh, is, you know, flavours, you know, mm-hmm. uh, essentially, you know. Um, and even in the world, even when, even when it comes to playing swing, I mean, you know, four and a ride symbols, really, that, if you, you need that's that's the fundamental, you know. Uh, yeah. You know, to inform your hi hats so that that's the thing that keeps it, you know, that's the thing that keeps it going. Um, and anything above that, you know, is you know, touches and flavors really, you know, not it's not essential. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. No, it's, it's really it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating answer. It's like you kind of have to be super sensitive to. To people's needs beyond mm. playing the actual drums, which is something that no one's ever really going to teach you, isn't? Are they? It's, you kind of really have to learn how to do that yourself. Yeah, yeah, and there are there are there are definitely times um, you'll have difficult moments along that journey. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I I work with a a, a songwriter uh, based in Kilmarnock. Actually, whenever I'm up uh, back home. Uh, and I've got a stu- I've got one of my kits is in his basement in his, his studio, um, and over the years we've recorded quite a lot of stuff together, uh, and it's often the case that I'll he'll play me like a guitar thing that he's you know for an idea for a song, and I'll think about okay well that should be like something like that right, and he'll go yeah because that's what I'm hearing from the guitar right, but he'll say actually can we just and actually, this happens more often than not. Uh, you get, well, can you just give me that, that, and and actually, because you're only hearing one aspect of it, you you can that's, so that's how you come up with your initial feel. But what this, what the other person's thinking is the whole thing. So, and you have to be able to adapt to that and just accept that, mm-hmm. even if you don't hear it that way, you have to accept someone else's. Um, approach to their song by all means give the feedback that you think okay well this is how I hear it but if ultimately they say look it's it's my song it's my baby you know then 
that that's what you do and that's what yeah. being a, that's what being a hired hand is kind of really all been about if it's your own project you know it's it's up to you you have as much fun with it as you want but when someone else is paying you to do a job or somebody's not paying you to do, the, to do a job but you're just doing it because you like creating music if it's still their project then you have to just you know go that's what it's got to be and that's yeah um, don't let your ego get in the way of that and that, that's quite difficult because we all have egos to some extent um, absolutely yeah, uh, yeah and you know uh, and we can all be sympathetic towards egos but ultimately you have to sort of push it to the back a little bit um, when you're working for someone uh, uh, to get the best out of the project overall and also yeah. the other thing which is quite important is uh, is if somebody says it sounds good uh, especially recording, trust them. Uh, I don't know, oh, I don't yeah. know if you guys have had, have had that thing when you're recording something, you go, no, that's just not, just not, just not, I'm not happy with that placement there, that fill rushed, you know. Literally uh, every time I've been in the studio, <laughs> that is exactly, exactly what's happened. I, I guess what I'm, I'm doing sort of some, um, I, was, I, was, I was letting Chris hear a, a little thing I was doing for somebody the other day using my Octopad. Uh, okay. um, record, recording that, that reggae track I, I let you hear the, 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 mm-hmm. the, yeah. that was all done in my octopad individually one by one <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying to line it up and make it sound natural but you know because it wasn't quantizing it so I was adding I was doing kick on one pad then recording the, the cross stick on the next so it took me back to the 80s when everything used to be sort of isolated and you get you got a studio session someone say can we just record the snare drum and add the bass drum afterwards you know you'd be like oh, I just, uh, just missed this yeah yeah but, um, Fry your brain. Uh, yeah, uh, but the um, but that 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 uh, I I was in a situation with that when I was letting the guy hear it and I think it's just not sitting right and he's going, dude, it sounds fine. I'm going, nah, it's too like that. Sounds a wee bit lumpy because I'm doing it live on pads as opposed to in a kit. He's going, but dude, it sounds fine. And so, with me giving the advice of like just accept if somebody says it's good or not, I was breaking my own advice to to yeah, yeah, yeah. ago because. You know you're too connected to it, and you hear and you know where you can you know where your mistakes are, what you perceive to be mistakes. So you have to let the individual, the other people who are in charge of the project, tell you if they like it or not, and accept it mm-hmm. if they like mm-hmm. it. Because you know, and then when you come back to it, and there's the other uh, for anyone out there who, who is recording and has these kind of battles, when you've done a recording, in my experience, walk away from it, and come and then get, let somebody let you hear it. A, when it's finished, and B, two or three months down the line. So you've kind of forgotten entirely how you played it, and then you mm-hmm. just hear it as a brand new track. Uh, and then you go, and I've done this loads, especially with my, 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 my mate uh, Neil, who I do the song with, uh, and, and, and Kelly. Um, uh, like, I'll come back after two months, and you go, do you remember this? And you play it, and I'll be like, nope, not a clue. Sounds great. Who's on drums? <laughs> not me. I, I didn't play that, you know, because you took the time away from it. You know, yeah, yeah, uh, and and that's often. I mean, that's often a great, um, uh, uh, a great thing to do with music anyway, because we all sort of care about it so much. It is part of us um, that that you can get so wound up when things ain't working right, whether it's gigs totally. or whether it's studio or even your own practice time, mm-hmm. uh, when it's not working right, and you just you get so frustrated and, and everything, and you get you start to get a bit down about it and. Why isn't it working? Why isn't it doing this? Why can I not like play a paddy diddle anymore? Um, and and that's the time to step away for a, for some mm. time. Uh, you know, if it's an hour, 
two hours, a couple of days, put the sticks down, just walk away, come back, or don't do the gig for a while. You know, that kind of thing can all be very, very beneficial. This lockdown is actually um, quite interesting because initially, you know, I as, as you both know, I've been very lucky that I just have went from gig to gig to gig. Um, that, that in the last 10, 15 years, I've like not had anything more than like say two or three weeks in between, you know, a show. Um, and uh, but this obviously lockdown is now is going to be here. Obviously, theatres won't. I can't imagine yeah, we'll yeah. be reopening at least till this, you know, June or July. So nothing's really going to happen for us. Um, and so I've literally got this thing where I've got like a month, two months, maybe three, where I've got literally no gigs. Uh, and that 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 actually initially I I wasn't I was kind of a bit like oh my god how am I going to how am I going to cope with, like, this is what I do. This is, take that away from me and there's, there's nothing, you know, that I have no idea I was going to feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. But actually, over the past couple of weeks, it's been quite refreshing because I feel like I've had a, a break. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Albeit in the first one. And I know it's under terrible, you know, terrible circumstances and obviously there's a lot of people suffering out there uh, because of it. But just for this next, this, this few weeks, it's been a bit of like, oh, I've had some chance to, to relax and to think so you have to use those moments positively whatever you can whenever you need to get away from something or and and uh yeah that, that that's uh that's um one of the small personal bonuses i think from having an enforced break is it gives me a chance to refresh my, my, my mind and my body and you know my hands and you know give me a bit of hunger to get back into it again yeah. What do you do to keep fresh otherwise? Because I know you, you you physically train a lot and you read a lot as well. Eh? You do a lot of external reading. I uh, like subjects out way out with music, physics, and all sorts of crazy stuff. My my most recent one is I've created a a, a document uh, about the Anglo-Saxon kings of England. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. From 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 five from five forty AD through to. Uh, 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 nine nine fifty or so when they first. Who's the winner? <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's Wessex. King the kings of yeah. Wessex end up dominating English politics after that. So um, uh, I won't go through the I won't go through it with you. But this this came about because somebody I uh, uh, I know had sort of said, "Can you explain how this happens here and that happens there?" And I thought well, that's a fascinating thing because I can explain bits of it. So I ended up going in my in my sort of geeky way that I do, <laughs> sat down at the computer and sort of opened up a Word document and went, and then I, I thought, oh my God, okay. so I start doing these, I have to write about them all and show how they all tie into each other. So it took me about two or three months uh, and I've created this timeline that started off with what they call the Anglo-Saxon Heptarchy, which is the seven kingdoms, um, and eventually it narrows down through history, through loads of fighting, politics, the Vikings come in and take over the north of England and so on and blah 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 and eventually it channels down to this one person uh, who is you know of the Wessex line so if you've ever seen Vikings in um, uh, King Eckbert he's, in, he's one of the characters in that he's the guy that kind of that's where the timeline sort of the kings of Wessex kind of strangely I have the I've, I've got the box set to watch Gail's dad loves it so it's, it's I, I'll, I'll get into it I right, recommend okay. it. Not, the other other historical uh, docudramas are available you know, <laughs> <laughs> Allendale Productions for anyone who says that this is just a drumming podcast um, I raise you uh, Allendale and Vikings yeah. <laughs> well, 
Well, that, what, one of my things is I think it, or he was saying if anybody thinks it's just a drumming podcast, he, he raises you Alan Dale with Vikings. <laughs> well, that's why the beard, yeah. that's why I've got the beard. <laughs> just, I'm going to, I want to grow a ponytail at the back of my head, you know, and then, and then I'm, I'm not joking, this is one of the things I thought about doing for the next couple of months as well, just like disappearing and coming back out with a full head of like hair, you know. <laughs> um, Unfortunately, the top bit doesn't grow very much, you know. So uh, that's your superpower as well, though. The top bit. <laughs> top, yeah, the, well, if I get a sunburned, I look a little bit like a, a Duracell battery. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm, I'm not really joking. That does happen, you know. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but I, I, I think I it's know. actually really important for drummers to have something else. Uh, is yeah, yeah. Oh, Away from the... everyone, everyone. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, like, but especially like you are literally consumed by it. Yeah, no, it's a passion. You're, it's you're... a passion. It's, it's, a, it's a problem. It's a problem. Yeah, Because yeah. I get so into it. Um, I literally, um, I, I think I do, I mean, I, I know they kind of secretly love it, but my fellow band members do get a bit, uh, like, frustrated <laughs> when I sort of um, go off on tangents, you know, uh, mm-hmm. when they, when we'll be in a, we'll be in a, an ancient city or like you know somewhere like you know Bristol or Bath or somewhere York or something be often, I'll be often one about like the whole history of the city that's the other thing I do when I go to a, that's one thing that's one thing quite I like about touring anywhere you go finding out the history of that town or that area why street names are called street names that's a that's a big thing for me mm. walk around, next time honestly try it walk around the city if you're in <laughs> town or if you're just have a little walk, walk and see um Look at the street names. Some are very obvious and some are less so and see how many are old and weird, you know? It's, mm. it's, it's, yeah. it's, uh, that takes you down a very interesting path, uh, obviously, yeah. the street names and stuff, you know? But um, No, it's, 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 you go to some great places. I mean, I've got a load of favourites on the touring circuit. Norwich is one of my favourites. Bristol's another oh, really? favourite. Yeah, oh, God, yeah, Norwich. Oh, man, that's just... Yeah, I'm not... <laughs> again, I'm not highlighting any one particular place, but there are so many great places that I can and everywhere's got museums this is the kind of really interesting thing even the most you know the places where you're li- less likely to think have got anything interesting yeah. they always do and it's fascinating mm-hmm. it's always fascinating you know um, I can I could tell you why Sunderland's called Sunderland you know if you want <laughs> do you know what but, yes do it uh, <laughs> I'm all for no, it I'm not going to do it I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> no, not on a podcast I, I suggest <laughs> anyone else they, they do it um, but, but you know it's, it's a it's a it's definitely a, a, a passion and a, and a hobby but it's a healthy one because it means that I get means I'm not focused entirely I escape the gig uh, yeah yeah uh, one of the um, one of the podcasts we're bringing out is we, we just did with a guy called Matt Brennan who's a doctor uh, a music doctor and he um, is, did he invent he the pulse music. is he invent the pulse <laughs> is that him no is that the same no, as that he, uh, is that called Brennan <laughs> You know, the, the watch... Oh, thing. no, you think of the sound, Brenner. The Brenner, that's right, so, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, he, he, this guy's written a book called Kick It, The Social History of the Drum Kit. Wow. And this is a really fascinating dude, eh, Adam? He no, he's like, brilliant. He's absolutely man, amazing. He this guy. And he's taken it basically from the evolution of the drum kit to now. So from, mm. like, Baby Dodds and all yeah, those guys yeah, yeah. To, yeah. to why the drum kit is played the way it is and, and how music has been shaped by the growth of the drum kit, yeah. it's like no other no other instrument in the history of music has shaped modern music like the drums have. It's a fundamental. Really fascinating. It's, it's a fundamental instrument. It's 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 
is that is the basis of, of everything mm-hmm. in sort of uh, contemporary well, music. The popular music. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah. it's uh, it's the bedrock of of the groove, um, and and obviously it's a fair, it's it's one of the newest of the instruments in terms of like drums have obviously been around a long time, but putting them together as one unit with cymbals and tom toms and bass drums. You know, Absolutely, it's, yeah. It's a fairly, it's a fairly new instrument, and the the technical advancements. When you look at, I mean, I, there was a there was a Stuart Copeland many many years ago did this series um, about uh, the history of drums. It was on uh-huh. uh, Radio Two or something, and and it was fascinating because he went, he did that thing. He's exactly sick. Went right back to start and listened to all the stuff through the big band era, into the swing era, and then the second program, which is still one of my favourite. Uh, things I've ever heard and he went and in 1955 you ain't nothing but a and it would, I, because it was coming yeah. forward in history you realise the importance yeah. of, of those changes and all yeah. fueled by these thumping great drummers that were like yeah. you know and they were they were brand new they were they were the guys who were really developing the instrument I mean my, my favourite uh, drummer of all time is still Krupper oh really absolutely I, I can't you know he's just he's just there's something about it there's something about his feel yeah. his swing you know, uh, you know. I mean, him as a person, I think as well. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, he'll seem to be come across as a, um, you know, as a, as a kind of good guy. You know. Um, yeah, larger and, and, than life. And he he propelled the drums forward, uh, uh, financially as well as um, you know he he was a guy that got the drums uh, paid the same. I believe I I might not be. I don't think I'm entirely sure about this one, but I think he was a guy who got the drummers' wages in the big bands up to yeah. a par with yeah. everyone else, you know. So well, Matt was speaking a lot about that kind of stuff. Matt, mm, you know, mentioned yeah. a lot about that. Yeah. You know, he mentioned yeah. that was it Glenn Miller he played for? Uh, Krupa. Um, no, he was uh, he was uh, Benny Goodman, wasn't he? Benny Goodman, that's it. Yeah. And he, he he fell out with Benny Goodman because mm. people were more interested in Krupa than they were in the yeah. band. Yeah, yeah. Well, he went off music for from his own. Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. So like dr- drummers as celebrity. Like yeah. far back as fifty, whatever you know, yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. fascinating. I think, like, I mean, I don't know anywhere near that. I mean, this guy's forgotten more than I think I'll ever know. But and I don't want to give too much of the podcast away. But it's really, really fascinating to check out. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, that's um, um, but those things are those things are fascinating because it is very important to understand um, where it comes from and how it gets there. Because if you don't have the the if you don't know, if you don't know where it comes from, like like, you can copy what's around. Uh-huh. But it's, it's less you can you if you know what's behind that, you can sort of take that and use that and propel it forward yourself to some extent. I mean, I had a lesson off of um, um, Steve Smith years and oh, years wow. ago. Yeah, um, uh, and uh, and it was fascinating because the what. What we spoke about more of more more than more, more than anything was about the history of the drums. He was just starting that thing with uh, Freddie Gruber uh, and stuff. Oh yeah, he did he, that whole DVD. Yeah, and and he sort of, but he, but he spoke about like why Bonham, Ian Pace, uh, mm-hmm. you know, all those great British drummers uh, mm-hmm. had such a great feel, and it's because they were all basically coming from a swing background, blues yeah. background, shuffles. And and this I remember my first sort of time when I was picking up the sticks, um, and playing out learning how to play straight grooves to, to, to and listen to records and of course yeah pick that up, mm-hmm. and then I learned how to play shuffles and I became it was much more tricky, 
because yeah. I didn't have anyone showing me for a start and I had sure. to look at it written down and I had to work through what, how to break up a beat into three and then take away the middle one and so on and so forth and of course mm-hmm. um, but, learn, but, but with those guys in the past started from a place of swing and then it straightened up through history yeah. like into the and, and, and when you feel that, that crossover feel where it's not swing but it's not straight that develops through that early rock and roll period uh, and uh, and that's why all those great rock and roll ch- uh, uh, songs from the sort of 50s and you know that's why they have such a phenomenal feel because it's not quite strictly straight uh, and it's not entirely swung <laughs> yeah. it's that yeah, yeah. halfway house uh, thing and it's a really yeah. important feel and you can't I mean you can study it and you can sort of analyse it but ultimately it comes down to a, a, a switching off and just trying to establish and feel that 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 particular feel and if you can get into that place that's a really important thing to um to 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 learn to do as well um in fact i, so, I like, yeah, go for it. and i was gonna say I had, I had a session for an advert um i used to do these sessions <laughs> for adverts like back in um it was when savar was 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 still the oh, yeah, yeah. church yeah uh-huh. um and um uh and we used to get sent these edited versions of of a of a song to learn it and then go into the studio and, and knock it down in two or three takes or whatever and then it would go out and it, as an advert with different words um i'm not going to name any of the companies i did it for but one of the ones was um you know that song by the beach boys um uh, fun 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 till your daddy takes yeah the away. that's yeah. a that's a really interesting feel because i used to get i used to treat these things as interesting so ways to things to practice whatever and I, th- I think it's Larry London in that track. I don't know for certain. It could be um, uh, uh, oh, what's uh, what's his face? Oh, I forget. Um, but it's it's one of those great players from that period. And the thing is, right? So the Tom Tom is um, is uh, uh, the, the, the the left hand. You know that thing where you play both hands. You go and both hands are doing the eighth number. It's kind of that, except one hand's in the snare, one hand's in the tom. The bass drum's just plowing through from the floor, and and the. The snare drum is, I think it's, I can't remember which way, which way around it is, but the snare drum was played quite straight. So you imagine that tune, fine, 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 to your daddy. But the tom, the floor tom, it was like, it was fine. It was going, and it was like, those two things were happening at the same time. And I was Jesus. like, hey, does he mean that? Or is that just a thing that's unique to him? So I actually, I actually sat down and tried to get as close to that as I could. Um, and I, I suddenly, at that period in time, I suddenly started getting into that thing of trying to play shovels on one hand and, and straight with the other hand, which I thought was a, an incredible. And I used, yeah, it's like, it's just, just, it's just, that was, that was a, that was a great little period of sort of um, going, wow, how, how come I've only just discovered this? Because it was a lot of fun mm. and, and quite challenging as well. Um, so have, have you managed to, well, you, you have managed to play music through periods that you've lived through, i.e. you mm. grew up, in the 80s you played 80s music so would you approach that with an understanding of what culture what it was maybe like culturally if you, I can't even say that word or like how that music was received during the time how people dressed and all that stuff I um, the 80s is a decade I choose to want to forget <laughs> right okay <laughs> <laughs> this is a, there's a lot of people that I, uh, don't like my approach to the eighties. Um, I was there. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, uh, there, there obviously, there was some great stuff in it. And a lot of the modern, a lot of the music recording technology, you know, 
came about at that time, obviously through the yeah, some of the metal out the eighties was amazing. Some of it is, I mean, it's a wee bit shiny, but um, uh, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> but um, well, the um, I had I had a, I had a I'll come back to this, but I had a great um uh, moment through my theatre career, uh, which referred back to my my youth as a as a metalhead because I, I I for anyone who doesn't know I used to like like here down there and sort of like I mean but the the band I still to this day it's not going to happen. But I do want to play with Iron Maiden at least once. <laughs> it's not going to happen, but you know, it'd be just that Let's start a petition. <laughs> Nick, will, Nick will move over for one, just one, right. just one. Um, the but, trooper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and, and I taught myself to play essentially to Live After Death. Um, uh, right. That was essentially the, the, the album I used to play along to the most. Uh, but, um, yeah, the, 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 yeah, playing through the generations. I mean, I, I started playing, I think, I was. 14 or 15, so that'd be 85, 86. Uh, but I turned pro fairly quickly. I mean, um, January uh, 89, I think, was when I turned pro. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and that was, and that got me into the world of a lot of um, this kind of soul band that did gigs around the country at the time. Um, so that, that was kind of that focus, and I wasn't playing much. Uh, I, had a, I had a couple of bands that I was in, but they were kind of trying to be like that was that I guess that was kind of more towards the early nineties. The eighties stuff I didn't really come across because when I was when I was getting into music in the eighties, it was about listening to seventies rock, or uh-huh. or you know contemporary heavy metal at that time in the sort of mid to the eighties. The Guns and Roses and and White Snake and you know you know those kind of Poison, the kind of bands like that and Slayer. Uh, yeah, we like a bit of Slayer. Um, so, so I never really played much eighties style music. In fact, the, the the only time I played really anything that was kind of eighties stylistically, uh, was probably when I was doing the Bodyguard show because obviously there was uh-huh. some of that stuff. Obviously, yes. Um, uh, pause that thought. I'm not to the loo. Keep going. You can talk to Adam, but if 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 my screen changes and I'm not there, it's because I'm in the toilet. Right. <laughs> I'll, we'll, we'll hold this. We'll hold this thought. Now, uh, I've got. I've got a good one for him when he comes back, right? Oh. Okay, just when he, when, he, when he comes back, I'm going to ask him something. Um, yeah, that's a classic, uh, classic gag. Um, no, so the the eighties, the 80s stuff. Um, uh, again, I've not, yeah, I've not much experience playing eighties sort of tunes. But mm-hmm. one of the one when you got when when the V drums became obviously as popular as they are now, mm. that that was a great time for going through those sounds and opening up that. Um, that that repertoire because yeah. I, I did have a few de- when I got my first V kit I would like sit down and of course the sounds that I loved the most were the do 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 oh yeah me too those, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I suddenly so I suddenly I suddenly found myself kind of enjoying playing eighties sounding drum kits yeah totally <laughs> because you know physically it was in front of me um, and so I, I I end up using I've ended up using quite a lot of those um, V drums are great for that V drums are great for so many things and I'm not obviously necessarily want to promote rolling tier particularly but uh, <laughs> but they are they are and obviously you know yamaha's the dtx stuff is is, yeah. is great i mean i've got, I've got less knowledge of that but mm-hmm. but yeah it, it's fairly similar yeah uh um so um yeah uh but um yeah so i use those kind of sounds from time to time on on, on a, I, I kind of do there's a welsh tv program uh which is all v drums which i do from time to time and and oh, cool. there has been moments in that when i've when I've got the power ballads kit 
set up, you know, for a particular <laughs> song. So I'd set them on reverbs and everything on it. Oh, Chris, by the way, um, could you hear us when you were in there? Uh, no. Um, can we, we could hear you. Yeah, we could oh, hear good. you. Yeah. <laughs> good. That was, that, was, that was my gag. I, I, told, I told Arnold I was doing to do a gag, so it's the best thing. <laughs> it's like that bit in, in the bit in the naked gun when he goes to the toilet. He's still got the microphone on. Oh, <laughs> such a good just movie. Such a good comedy movie. gold, man. Comedy gold. What did I miss? Um, we're just talking about like how you know the 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 eighties as as I was saying were sort of a bit of a lost thing for me. Um, okay. And I haven't done much stuff about the eighties. I mean, because obviously when I was starting to play, it was mid eighties and stuff. And but my mm. focus was on seventies rock and and obviously ah, right, the, okay. the the shiny metal that was around in the um uh in the in the eighties um obviously there was other great bands as well um but yeah I never focused much on the popular music at the time uh, yeah um wasn't my thing uh and it's still it kind of it still isn't obviously there were some great artists around in the eighties I mean there's no denying there's always great artists around in every generation yeah. um. Uh, but the nineties, the nineties for me was a was a was a was a time that felt like music had sort of came back again, especially when grunge and that so whole American, some amazing drummers. Yeah, the, the, it was a, that that was when it felt to me that it was coming back to being more about bands, and mm. I mean I know that I know that a lot of people are not fans of them, but even bands like uh, Oasis and Blur and those guys did a lot to push music back towards coming away from the sort of programmed side of popular music to making it more about. Um, you know, uh, being in bands again, which was great because it meant that I think because one thing I noticed when I was teaching around that time was there was a lot of drummers. People yeah. people want to learn to play drums yourself, obviously, Absolutely. and, and mm-hmm. a whole bunch of people, and everyone was learning from the stuff that Blink were doing or the the the, the um uh. uh what do you call them? Pearl Jam um, and all that. Pearl Jam, oh yeah, absolutely. And, um, Soundgarden, all those bands. All those bands. Girls, and, naturally. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I mean, watch the Andy. I mean, go and go and watch the yeah. Andy Gangadine. I mean, that's a that that period that was Space World too, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. that, that yep. band is just insane. I've got I've got and, them, I mean, they played with Kylie for 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 a long time. And, oh wow! And, you know, yeah, it's just you know, I mean, these 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 these, you know, uh, uh, think about a lot of those bands that are or acts that are like you know very sort of programmed in the studio or, or you know it's all kind of done that way the minute they go out live they take a cracking bunch of session musicians with them and suddenly yeah. you, know, you have this killer band and, and mm. it, it changes it changes it changes it like you wouldn't believe you know um we had so, um we had andrew small in the shop mm, a couple mm, of times mm. he was kylie's md yeah that's right yeah he absolutely smashing He'd been on the gig at the, the time. My, my my friend Martin was playing um, guitar. Yeah, right. Uh, Absolutely sure smashing drummer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's yeah. incredible. I know. The, the, yeah. the thing is, you don't get those gigs unless you can play. You don't really get any serious professional gig unless you can play. I mean, it really mm-hmm. comes down to that. Um, and that's where you have to have a bit of you have to have a bit of respect. You know. I mean, I have been quite joking in my, in my youth about like you know not something was too simple. I mean, I I. I'm a huge Beatles fan, but I did go through a phase when I didn't really want to listen to the Beatles because Ringo's drumming was too simple. That was also <laughs> when I was about like seven, uh, six, fifteen, sixteen, when it was mm-hmm. when it was all about getting the chops out. And of course, you know, you get a slap in the, the head, <laughs> a, a, a <laughs> musical slap in the head, and you sort of like go, "Duh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's just yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. It's just that, yeah. that's just music. You know, it's music in the way it should be. You know, it's yeah. right. For, it's right for that stuff. You know, um, and that's what all the and. I, I guess to some extent that's what all these 
session guys that you're saying about Andrew and 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 the all you know various any one of us that's a hired hand is the only reason you get asked back is because you do the right thing, you know, yeah. and you do it quickly. That that's the one advantage that anyone that's out there. Um, whether it be the theatre world or whether it be and we all sort of cross over anyway I mean we all you know my background isn't remotely really about theatre it's, it's you know doing gigs around the town and doing everything from like um, the jazz gigs that used to be around the circuit from Glasgow Edinburgh from you know from function bands to you know so we all do a bit of everything uh, mm-hmm. and um, and, uh, and and the only reason you, the only way you can really do that is if you've got that base set of skills and then on top of that some experience and mm-hmm. um and and know uh when to play you know a specific thing or indeed when not to play a specific thing you know it's mm-hmm. like that, that whole leaving a bit of space thing the, the time it's tempting to go and you just go nah bosh yeah. and that, that's yeah. all really important that's why you kind of sort of get asked back i think um and obviously then there's the, the idea of trying to be a nice person into the bargain um, that, yeah. that helps as well uh, I can't tell you how I'm getting on with that but I'll, I'll let you know <laughs> <laughs> well you've, you've worked for a long time so you can't you must be doing something right yeah I think it's definitely playing not the personality <laughs> <laughs> and not definitely it's definitely not the jokes definitely not the jokes uh, yeah um, so what do you, what are you working on just now have you got anything particular you're practicing or well uh, my lock up uh, is basically shut so I can't get access to a kit but I've decided mm. to go old school and um, oh, ooh, check it out get, get the hands out you know it's, it's back to basics back to basics that's going to be one of the the benefits because how many times and I've done it you know we've all done it from time to time how many times do you get the opportunity to just sit back and go right going to get going to start off with some single stroke rolls then do some roughs and some drags and go through the whole Buddy Rich Redemus book or yeah. You know, and mm. just check your hands and just check for weaknesses and yeah. bad habits that creep in, you know, because they do. I mean, because, you know, uh, obviously technical stuff is, you know, what you need to, that's your device for um, uh, making life easier on the instrument. Um, but because, you know, if you're playing every day, like I thankfully was, um, it's very easy to just, you know, just not think too much about technique and just go, well, I've been playing for 30 years, so therefore I know how to hit a hi-hat um, mm-hmm. or how to do a paradiddle. But then when you strip it back down again, I'm always coming across bits that I go, oh yeah, I haven't played that for, I haven't done a, 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 a five-stroke roll for, for a long time. Mm. What, so I listen to it and I go, cranking my right hand's a bit heavier than my left. Mm-hmm. Just a basic yeah. thing like that. Uh and those things are so it's a real it's a real I mean I've been doing maybe about uh, an hour and a half to two hours just on my pad uh, most days mm-hmm. um, doing doing a bit of that that writing stuff uh, coming up with those drum mm-hmm. beats for the for my mate's reggae song um, mm. so that's kind of what I've been doing at the minute and and doing a bit of reading and um, uh, not been listening to too much new music um, uh, of the moment but. Um, uh, I was kind of uh, kind of been just listening back through my old uh, uh, metal catalogue, uh, mm-hmm. and sort of you know hence why I was listening to Five Finger Death Punch today, and sort of uh, <laughs> uh, and I was doing a bit of corn yesterday, and um, you know, oh so, wow, yeah. oh yeah, 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 and it was it was such a shame. I was planning to go to download this year as well, um, 
for the second for my second one because I went there for the first time ever last year and uh, I know and, and sending me tool videos while I couldn't oh, go. They were so good. They were so yeah. good. And I couldn't tool, remember I, it was you that asked me because um, I remember yeah. I, taught, I remember I had to work out um, the other day, wasn't it? The, the that's right. That's right. Aye. And yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was you. It was you. It was you. We spoke yeah. about that. Um, and I couldn't remember who it was, but yeah, that that was kind of my inspiration. So um, um, yes, I'm definitely going through my midlife heavy metal crisis at the minute. Um, okay. Uh, so, so naturally, the know, double pedals back out. But when I get back on that kick, because as I say, I can't get access to my I can't get access to my lockup at the minute, so I'm not able to play a kit for until these restrictions obviously you know uh, ease off a little bit, um, and so it's on the pad just now, and I can I can imagine that none of us will be gigging for at least two two months or so until they can sort of obviously you know this mm. thing gets a bit more contained so uh, it's a perfect opportunity for me uh, to hopefully we'll be able to move again you know within the by the end of the month maybe enough to let me get to my lockup. if that's the case then just do go back to doing you know eight hour practice days you know that's man that'll be I'm excited be a lot for fun. the other side of this for the other side of this kind of pandemic like if we're not all better drummers, then something's definitely went wrong, you know. Well, the thing is, I think I think what you'll get is, I think everyone will be will be such a, a sort of relief um, that uh, that I think that the desire for entertainment will will, will be there um, mm. uh, to help you know people sort of ease you know smile again. Um, <laughs> so I think I think there might be even a bed like a. a, a a boost to the arts in general because um, uh, because it's we the music industry and the arts industry tend to do really well through tough times whether it's a recession or whether it's you know because people need those releases of mm. joy mm. Um, and uh, there's a lot of great options for home entertainment uh, but it's never the same as, as seeing someone do something live you know whether it's mm. songs or whether it's plays or whether it's pictures of I, I work, had you know? I had tickets to go and see Blade Runner with the orchestra performing the score which would have been to, yeah I had tickets amazing. to go see Blast Off at the Albert Hall oh did you yeah, oh yeah, amazing yeah, 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 wow. yeah, yeah but it's, it's obviously gone but yeah um, no that's like, I yeah, think that, was, that, was that at the concert hall it was, yeah. I think they've rescheduled it, so hopefully, fingers crossed, I'm available yeah. for the date. Like, I, I, I can go, I've not got something have, on. Have you seen one of those before? I have, I've seen a few. I saw mm. Psycho. Uh, oh, which really? Was, wow. Yeah, yeah, that was something else. I've seen the, the uh, A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. I've got tickets for Return of the Jedi uh, with the orchestra performing it. Mm. Uh, I, think that, I think that's all I've seen. Um, Psycho was amazing because it was basically a chamber orchestra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Just, yeah. All, just all strings. Um, yeah, so I'm very excited to to get to see it. It's it's great to do. Yeah. Adam, have you seen anything? Have you seen one of those yet? Have you? I have seen Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone with the live orchestra, and brilliant. it was brilliant. sensational. It was brilliant. I've I've done I've done two. I've done the New Hope uh, and Jurassic Park. Uh, oh, oh, Jurassic, I've seen Jurassic Park, Park as well. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, I did see Jurassic Park. Yeah, it was amazing. And and uh, I mean, both of those were the the um, Albert Hall. Uh, and it was amazing because what you get from the live experience of that is um, you sort of hear bits that are sort of mixed, or just not mixed lower, but but 
come in more in the actual soundtrack. Yeah. So mm. suddenly you hear like a, a bell or a flute that's a bit louder, so you actually hear a bit more detail or, you know, and that's the, that's always, I always think that's the little joy of that. You'll hear something and, oh, I've never, that never, it's there, but it's never poked out in the same way, you know? Mm. What, what I love more than any of it is when you forget the orchestra's there. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's mm. being played live. Like, yeah. yeah. And the yeah. thing is about things about that is, well, I mean, that's a kind of music experience should be kind of like like um, that. It should be like not so much forgetting those people are playing, but it should leave a sort of um, uh, an emotional memory that, that you can think, wow, you know, like yeah, we're all we're sure. all saying the ones we do, wow, um, and uh, uh, and that you know, and I think one of the things is. Because music has never stopped, gigs have never stopped through, never actually been forced to stop, certainly in, in my lifetime. Uh, and I don't think in anywhere recent, in recent, even the last, yeah. even through the two, the two big wars and stuff like that, I don't mm-hmm. think music ever stopped. Mm. Um, uh, and, uh, and I think myself as a, as a, as a, as a pro player who's had the luxury of, you know, being in work, having moved from one thing, or have always been gigged, um, you take it for granted. Uh, mm. And you take mm. the skills you have for granted. You take the skills that other people have for granted. And you take, I wouldn't say I've ever taken an audience for granted, but you kind of sort of think there's going to be an audience. You just think there's people going to turn up. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think that's, this is a bit of a game changer in that way, because now you go, Actually, nothing that we do is particularly guaranteed. It can change at the drop of a hat in any situation. Um, and uh, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think it has to take something like this to bring our industry to a, a sort of uh, a pause, if, if you know, if not a complete halt. Um, uh, uh, so it's obviously you know um, leaves us in a strange world that that, that you know um, that obviously you know. You 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 not being able to actually play in front of an audience is is mm-hmm. it's strange because it's you know it's what what we do but you know and it's it's not there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting so, though because so, what's what I find fascinating right now is that albeit people aren't being creatively in public like if mm, anything this yeah. has made people more creative because now oh, yeah, getting things yeah. like what we are doing literally just now like we're able to yeah. have a podcast without being in the same room. People are able to yeah. record and write music without being in the same yeah. room. And I guess it's probably always and been there, but it's definitely not been as prominent as what certainly the last few weeks have shown us. Yeah. Well, this is the thing about the, the technology leads us to this place. Um, and there are many upsides and many downsides to technology. Uh, and this is definitely an upside, being able to mm. share a platform and indeed keep in contact with people much easier. You know, I've, I've sent several people um, just messages just checking they're okay you know because mm-hmm. obviously this is a stress on everyone for mm. lots of different reasons financially and, and just life you know uh, so that and without the sort of technology we have now you can't you couldn't do it instantaneously you know you'd have to wait or you know be on a busy phone line or you know send a letter mm. you know so, so where we are now is we can do it instantaneous and we can as you say we can have a situation where I can see you guys and uh, <laughs> uh, and we're all you know several miles apart uh, and obviously we have the 
recording technology that we can capture the audio as well and and uh, and you know have a have a sort of experience and a, and a, and a mm. moment that, that you know everyone's aware that everyone's okay and that's uh-huh. that's really important and to share some some stories and, and a few laughs you know that's that's, that's kind of vital mm-hmm. yeah man well where can people find you if they want to uh, see what uh, you do and all that uh, you've got a youtube channel now eh? i've got a youtube channel just some some bits and bobs really some some bits of fun in there some some gigs and stuff and some little snippets of things i need to uh, do a wee bit more updating on that and um, some audio files and various other things uh, uh i'm not on instagram i i am on facebook uh-huh. um uh and um uh, so just those ones really mainly because most of what I do is one of those things where like you know we, we kind of get we were, we, the work I do isn't about selling me to a, you know it's a kind of I get booked sort of on the basis of I guess previous experiences I sure. guess um, mm. uh, and uh, yeah and I'm, I'm kind of being a bit rubbish at keeping up to date <laughs> with the old social media thing because it's not it's not necessarily been a requirement uh, so that, yeah, yeah that's, that's that's basically Okay, because well, yeah, um, most of my work is based on, most of my work is based on sort of reputation and word of mouth. That, yeah, uh, yeah. We yeah. did the rig rundown with you on the bodyguard, so we'll be sure to share that as well. Yeah, man. Okay. Oh, yeah. 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 Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, man. Well, thank yeah. you for the time today. I appreciate it. Yes, thank no, you very thank much, you. Al. I hope you. Uh, I hope. Uh, I hope uh, my Anglo-Saxon facts went uh, <laughs> dull. That's what we should call it's a it. Highlight. It's a highlight for me. Uh, when we next see each other, I'll tell you about my other project, which is um, uh, interesting facts. Which is when you slightly lie and try and catch people out, uh, or you tell them the truth, and it's up to them to work out whether it's um, uh, not true or or real. Yeah. So, um, the height of the Black Pill Tower, that, based on. That's that's you know there are there are things that, that will surprise you what are, what, what are true and what are not. So, right. Um, anyway. Right. Okay, mate. Well, thanks so much. Uh, take care. Uh, and we'll, uh, and we'll hopefully catch you soon. Awesome, and uh, thanks for thanks for having no, me. No, no, no. As soon as I get a chance to come up, I'll be popping into the new shop because I've, I've yet to see it. And uh, give my best to everyone out there, and give my best to uh, your good lady, well done. Uh, Chris, and thank uh, you. you as well, Adam. And um, uh, give my best to Paul and everyone, and, and Big Dave. Uh, did I see? I saw Big Dave playing with the choir boys in Southampton. Some boy, yeah. Did oh, he's amazing. What a great! I was, I you know, that was a great gig. He, he, he what a great, what a stunning uh, player. Very, very, uh, very, very, yeah, yeah, very good quality. Big shout out to Dave McCluskey. He does the twos yeah, and the fours yeah. quite well. Does the big man? Yeah, good old school rock and roll drumming. Yeah, I'll tell you, that was, uh, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Um, well, thanks, guys. No worries, and, uh, thanks, Alan. Enjoy, enjoy your um, time at home uh, at the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give my love to, give my love to Kelly. Well done, mate. Cheers. Take it easy. See you guys. Bye, bye.